as, uh, as we begin, all right? John chapter 3. And Father, we thank you because you're alive. You're here. You're present. Thank you for beautiful worship and what a joy it is to be in your presence. And with all those who have known you through centuries have gathered on Sabbaths to worship you and affirm that you're God like no other. So we offer you, Lord, our time in Scripture now that you would speak to us and, and move in us. And Jesus, you'd be birthed in us in a, in a deep, profound way. And that, Lord, we may live as you lived and that your love may flow through us. That we may love you more purely and love others more cleanly. And so we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 3. Before I, let's read, let's read. John chapter 3, beginning verse 27. But John the Baptist replies and says... A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The jo- this, that joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Now last uh, week or last month, Christianity Today had an article about the creator of VeggieTales. VeggieTales, uh, if you're not familiar with it, was a children's video series for small kids. It was very, very popular. And uh, this fellow who created it was named Paul Vischer. And he had a vision for a video series uh, for kids using computer-animated vegetables. And, uh, but these vegetables love Jesus. And uh, he was broke, but he had this vision, uh, which he felt was from God. It was from God. And, and so he completed his first little VeggieTales episode uh, around Christmas 1993. Someone had given him a little bit of money to do the first one. And the thing exploded, and within 10 years, it sold 25 million videos as he made different episodes. And he had millions and millions of fans all over the world of VeggieTales. And uh, some of you, no doubt, have them in your house for your kids. And it grew from him alone to 210 employees. And, and his vision was that he would be a studio and entertainment company that would rival Walt Disney, but it would be for God. And, uh, and he talked about how God worked miracles along the way. Many articles were written about it over the years. But about six years into it, which was 1999, uh, some things started going wrong. He started overexpansion, overexpending. Uh, he ended up signing a multi-million dollar loan agreement uh, for ex- expansion. He got sued because they moved distribution companies. He got sued for breach of contract. Uh, couldn't get settled out of court. Ended up going to court uh, and... Uh, cost him $11 million to, to be after payment for breach of contract. And so he ended up being bankrupt, the company, filing, uh, you know, Chapter 11. He lost everything. Every employee got let go. Uh, the company was sold to somebody else. And even at the time of this writing, uh, he may lose his house. And uh, so and it's interesting because as the financial pressures came the last four, three, four years, he, re- he talked about how he began to get, get all these physical sicknesses, you know, from, from the stress. And uh, he had stopped playing music and drawing and creating, which was the very thing that got VeggieTales going in the first place. And he had tried to build an empire like Walt Disney. And here's what he wrote, or here's what he said in the interview. I was trying to be someone that God didn't call me to be and that God did not create me to be. And I realized that I was pursuing cultural influence when I should have been pursuing God. And uh, his wife said in the interview, God let us fall. And the last six months have been the best Phil, her husband, and I have had in 10 years. And last December, 
a few months ago, he went to Disney World, and there's a big statue, apparently, of Walt Disney there. And uh, he had his hand on Walt Disney. He said to the statue, I am done now. You can be you, and I will be me. <laughs> and uh, that was quite an article. But last week, we talked about finding God's purpose for your life and, you know, how important that is. And God's created us and called us for a purpose, and he has something for each one of us. And, and this fellow who created VeggieTales, he understood God's purpose to a certain extent, but he lost it because he didn't catch the issue of limits. And for me, this topic today, which is limits, God's pathway to contentment, is of all the principles of, that we've been talking about here for the last 10 weeks, this to me is my most challenging and cutting edge as embracing God's limit because it is the path to contentment. And uh, as some of you know my story, uh, you know, it was near disaster for me as well uh, and has been disaster for many. Now, we've been, we've been talking about, you know, we're, we're aware of lifting weights. Like, I, I have limits in how much I can lift. Uh, but few of us reflect on limits as it relates to Scripture and spirituality. And so we've been in this series here, and today as we conclude it, these have been our topics over the last 10 weeks. And we've talked about, you know, accepting the gift of your emotions and, and self-awareness, how God's emotional, we're emotional, and and then we went into living faithfully to yourself, that God's given you a unique life to live and, and to be faithful to that without cutting off other people. And, and then about going back in order to go forward, that you've got to go back into your past in order to be free from it, to live for the future God has for you. And we spent a couple of weeks on that looking at Joseph. And, and uh, then we talked about enlarging your soul through loss. And as we move through these things, you recognize a lot of things to grieve in life and a lot of losses, especially about our past that we've got to grieve. But that's the way God grows us into loving individuals and makes us compassionate. We spent a couple of weeks on incarnation and loving well. And then, but God's purpose in all this is not just that we are ha we're happier people or healthier people, although God's, that's part of Christianity. It does work, and one has a more joyful life. But God's got a purpose for each of us and a plan for you and, and something for you to do with your life. And, and, and our call and the reason we're so committed to emotionally healthy spirituality is we, we want to hear God more clearly. So we can fulfill his purpose for our lives and not get bent off track. And then finally, if we're going to do God's purpose, I've got to grasp limits so that I do it properly. And I understand God's pathway to contentment, which, which really this is all about. But really, if there's a, in a sense, these are like a hierarchy and they build on each other. Uh, but they're all so interrelated that if you take any one of these out in your discipleship, you will pay. That the health and wholeness and maturity of your life, there will. So you drop limits in this thing, like Paul Vischer, the founder of VeggieTales, it will come and get you. Or if you're doing all this, but you're not walking out what God has for you to do, that will come and get you because you'll become a self-absorbed narcissist. And you'll miss God's plan for your life. You drop the issue of grieving and enlarging your soul through the loss because you don't want to go down there. You'll never grow into a loving person. So they're all kind of interconnected. But this limits thing is critical and it does pervade all of it as we walk out God's plan. So, uh, and again, I know some of us are not doing number six, and that is walking out God's purpose for our lives, and we're not reaching our potential. And so that, that makes it for this. You're not really, it's hard to even get this because you're not walking out your potential. So get last week's tape and do that by God's grace. All right. And we had a great time of prayer last week after the service. Now today is John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist is someone who embraced his limits. I mean, it's an amazing text, an amazing story. Uh, because he walked in a joy and a contentment, which... Uh, is so rare in our culture today. Very few Christians walk in this kind of contentment and rest. 
uh, let alone the wider culture. And uh, it's, he says to himself in, in verse 29, he says, I'm full of joy. And, and he's full of, and the word in Greek is, he goes, I am flooded with sur- surpassing joy in my life and contentment. And I've got a great satisfaction in doing what God's purpose is for my life. And he's at rest. He's around, as we'll talk in just a few minutes, he's around a lot of chaos all around him. His, his, if I didn't read the beginning, it begins at verse 22. People, remember John the Baptist, when he started preaching in the wilderness, thousands flocked to him. I mean, hundreds of years of waiting for the Messiah, for a real prophet of God to emerge. And no prophet had emerged in over 400 years. So when John began preaching and people recognized this is a prophet of God, they came from everywhere to hear him. I mean, he was the man. And when Jesus begin, began his ministry, people started leaving John and going to Jesus. And John had a lot of followers. They were called John's disciples. And they came to John in this text and they said, John, trying to breathe some envy into him. John, they're going over to Jesus. Like, we're losing it here. Like, you're going down and he's going up. And he could have fallen into resentment or bitterness or envy. Uh, And again, his followers love him and they want his best. But they don't know they're egging him on to sin. And this is when he responds and says to them, no, no, no. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And he is able to embrace, I'm going to talk about limits. He, He gets it about limits. And thus, he's able to walk out God's purpose for his life. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to break this down into the pathway to contentment. There's so little contentment and rest. In our lives, in our culture, John has it amidst such chaos. And as you know, he's going to be killed shortly thereafter. Um, And I just love the phrase that he is calm, he is centered, and he is a blessing presence amidst a lot of chaos. How would you like to live like that? So here's his pathway, all right? Number one, the first thing he does is he embraces his limits. And, and sort of for us to, walk, to, to get to this contentment, this place of rest and joy, I've got to be willing to embrace my limits. And John does that here. I mean, I, again, I, I don't know about you. I, I, it, this is one of my verses that I meditate on through the day. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And John is aware that that's all I can receive is what has been given me. And so, yes, he's able to say, um, I accept the gift of my limits. You know, I accept the fact of my humanity. And yes, it is true, I am losing popularity. Yes, that's true. And it's a God-given limit. And you know what? He's able to say, you're right, I don't have a condo. I don't have cable. I don't have internet access. And I'm living, I don't have a normal job like other people. And you're right, I embrace the fact that I'm going to die young. I'm never going to marry. I'm never going to fall in love or have children. I'm going to die an early death. I'm eating food here like locusts and wild honey. And I'm wearing kind of strange clothing. And, um, and I embrace the limits that God's given me. He embraces them. And he's very content. It's incredible. Because his own followers aren't content with his life. But he is. And he said, he refers to himself in verse 29. He goes, I'm just the best man of a wedding. And again, in those days, you know, in ancient world, best 
men where they got all the details ready for the wedding so the bride and the groom could have a great wedding service. And, and he goes, that's all I am. I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm just, the, I'm attending to the details. But Jesus is here and, and he's here for his bride to church and he's got a work to do. And you know what? He must increase and, and, and my time is over. My time is over here. I must decrease. And he just embraces it joyfully, his limits. It's, it's really incredible. Now, you know, you got to ask yourself the question, well, why are limits so difficult to embrace? You know, I, you know, I, last week, I, I had a computer a disaster about a week and a half ago. It started out small, and it kind of grew in intensity. And, uh, you know, I lost all my emails, all my email addresses, you know. I just, it was incredible. You know, I, I never knew I was so uh, addicted to this internet and email thing. But it was, it was a problem just kept growing, this virus thing. And, and I, was, I was in a rage of this limit of not having a computer. And like what Jerry said to me, Pete, it preaches well, it just doesn't live real good, you know? I mean, just the limit of a no email for like eight days, and I was like flipping out. But I, I've got, I, there may be more, but I've got two reasons why I, I think we, we hate embracing our limits. And, and really, think of embrace, think of God gives limits, and, and we're called to hug them. John hugs them. He's the only one hugging them. His disciples sure aren't. As you'll see later, his disciples hung on to John for at least 20 more years. They're found in the end of the book of Acts. They did not want to let go of this thing, of this vision, of what this thing was, this big, massive ministry that John was going to have. But I think the first reason is, I think I wrote it down here, just for, you know, why it's so difficult. Our egos are so inflated. I think that's number one. It's just, it's just you know, it's either we, 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 we act as if we're God. And like me, I'm going to fix that computer. Urgh, you know, I'm going to call somebody. We're going to make this thing happen. And uh, either we have larger fantasies or wishes for our lives that are so big that real life can't support them. And so we get manic and we get crazy because we, we've got this fantasy of how big we're going to be and make life happen. And, and we can't because our real, our, we're humans and it can't support it. Or we get so depressed because our egos are so inflated and, and we realize... Uh, my desires are so high, and I can't do them all. And it's unachievable, and so it's useless to try. Why bother trying? And so I just get depressed. And even that depression is a result of the fact that my, my grandiosity, this big ego, and so I hate limits. It's like the Garden of Eden. When, when, when God came to Adam and Eve with a limit, and said, you can eat from any tree but this one. And what did Satan say? Cross the limit. You won't die if you cross that limit. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. And something in us deep that wants to be like God. And we hate this limit thing. And we get like crazy and it's in our face. You know, it's like we get, and so what happens when you cross limits? I, I don't know about you, but a number of these apply to me. When we start den denying our limits and not hugging them, we start dominating people. We start controlling people. We start bullying people. We start getting aggressive. We start blaming and pouting like I was doing. We get overwhelmed because we're carrying the world on our shoulders like Atlas Shrugged, Anne Rand's book. Or we get burned out thinking we can do more than we can. Or I get stressed out. And in my case, I make you pay if I'm stressed out because I'm trying to do too much. Or I dump my anxiety on other people. Or some of us are workaholics because we can't imagine the world will run without us. And so we got to keep it going. And we think we're bulletproof. So we race into battle with no fear. So I, 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 this to me is, is big. And the second one for many of us is true too. I think for many of us, our identity is so wrapped up in what others think 
that we just can't say no. And, you know, it says in Proverbs, I think I wrote, oh, I didn't write the verse down. But in Proverbs 29, 25, it says, the fear of man is a snare. If you're looking for approval from people, it will like a, a, a trap. It'll grab you and knock you down. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Now, if you're like me, you know what it's like? You get an invitation to do something. Go to dinner, go shopping, whatever. But you realize you should say no. Because you don't have the time. You get, maybe you've already got some commitments. But you're more concerned about what they think than the reality of your limits that you can't be out five nights in a row. Or you can't be out till two in the morning and get up at six for work. But they've asked you, and because your identity's so wrapped up and they might think you're a bad person, you say yes. And you just fly by the limit. And you're a big grouch the next day. And, uh, and you're mad at them, of course. And when you cross God's line, you end up in the territory of the evil one. Make no mistake about it, the temptation in the wilderness for Jesus was to cross limits. It was Satan who said, okay, I mean, Jesus, Jesus was human. This is about our humanity. Jesus, uh, in, in, in the wilderness, in, in Matthew 4, devil's tempting him. Hey, Jesus, turn these stones to bread. And you know what? Jesus could do it. It was a temptation. It crossed the line, Jesus. Go ahead. But Jesus, what did he do? He listened to the Father. The Father's timetable, the Father's plan. Yeah, jump from the temple. They'll all believe in you right now. You know, another limit. He said, no, no, I'm going to wait. The limit is a limit from God. And he kept pushing him to get out of God's plan for his life. And the limits, embracing the Father's limit and timetable. The evil one knew that if I could get him out of his limits, I will destroy him. You can do the work of God, get out of God's limits. It will destroy you. And the issue is our humanity, that I betray the fact that I'm a human being, and I'm human. I can't do it all. And uh, it's the same temptation that Jesus had in the garden. It's the same temptation that every one of us faces. Everyone. As you seek to follow Jesus, it hits us all. And it hits something very deep in us. And I, you know, and really the issue is getting off your, your, your superiority. And I, I have it too, this hidden superiority conflict complex, and uh, that most of us are trying to prove ourselves that I can do it. I can do it. And we just push through. Now, I just made a little list here. In fact, I made a list for the last couple of weeks just listing limits for my own hugging and embracing of them. Because as I said earlier, this is my great challenge. And I, I'll just throw, I, I made 10. I, I summarized it in 10, and I'm sure there's lots of more. But, but here's some of the limits that I want to encourage you in your devotional time or time alone with God. Just embrace them as part of your worship and walk with God. Just in your physical body. You know, that your body is temporal, it's limited, and your body is decaying, and it will turn to dust. You need sleep. That's a limit. You cannot go without sleep. You will die. There are limits in your neurochemistry, your genetic makeup. Uh, there are boundaries of your... You, you can have plastic surgery every other month, but you are aging and there is a limit on your body as much as you deny. And physically, we will all physically die. It's a limit, whether you like it or not. You can fight it all you want. There is a, there, and some of you, you're saying, I'm, I wish I was taller. I wish I was shorter. I wish you know, all that. Just, it just is, right? There are limits. You know, our family of origin is a limit. The, the family, the, there are limits to whom you were born. 
the two parents, whether they were together or not, the opportunities that you were given. I can say every family is given capital in terms of wealth that you're given, and there's limits to that. Your ethnicity, your culture, your race, your country of birth, those are all limits. And in fact, actually, you know, the, the, the parents you had, they were limited. The quality of the family you had had limits. And what they gave you was limited, but there was limits. It just came with your family. No matter how great your family may have been, there were limits there. Well, there's also your marital status is a limit. If you're married, it's a limit. If you're single, it's a limit. If you have children, it's a limit. If you don't have children, it's a limit. The kind of children, each one that you have is a limit. But your marital status is a limit and um, can't get around it. Your intellectual capacity is a limit. Now, I don't care if you have a photogenic mind. You can memorize, you, you read something and you, it's, it's photographic, it's in your head. Well, you cannot go to the uh, New York Public Library and read everything and remember it. There are limits even to your intellect. And you cannot be brilliant in literature, math, physics, engineering, music, dance, all right? There are limits. No matter how brilliant you are, you have intellectual capacity limits. We all do. Talents and gifts, they're limits. We all have got them. And uh, they're given by God. You may have eight. Who's got four? You know what? I'd love to run a marathon in two hours and ten minutes. Never going to happen. I, I'd love to run a four-minute mile. I'd love to run an eight-minute mile. I mean, I, you know, I, but there are limits. And it's just, it's just a reality of limits of talents and, and gifts. Limits of material wealth. We know some of you here are extraordinarily wealthy, but you're keeping it a secret. But it doesn't matter how much wealth you have. There is a limit to how much you've got. And there's only the pie is only so large. You know, and if you don't manage it, you will be broke, okay? There's a limit to work and relationships. Do you know Genesis 3 makes it very clear that on earth, the curse is that any job you have will always frustrate you. You can enjoy your job as much as you want, but it will never fully satisfy you. No matter how great things are going. Because God built it in that way that you'll never be satisfied on earth by any work you do. You may get some fleeting joy, but only in heaven will you really experience that joy. Every relationship, great as it is, will never totally fulfill you either. It'll always have a bit of frustration to it. And so even that, the limits of all relationships. You know, I love people, but you know what? I, I love people, but I can't be friends with everybody. I mean, even Jesus in his humanity could only, be, only mentor 12 and 3. I mean, he had limits of the people he could spend time with of, of on earth relationally. And, um, you know, I even think of incarnation, entering somebody else's world. You know, as an Italian-American, you know, I can't enter into, you know, Lebanese, Arab culture, you know. Of, I, I mean, I can't fully enter into your life because it's not mine. And there's a limit to even loving you that I have, that I have to accept as an Italian-American born here in the United States. We're okay, right? We're still friends. All right. And then there's, and then there's raw material. There's, there's a limit of just raw material that, I, you know, we talked about last week that God gives you. My temperament, my personality, my motivations. You know, are you more on the artistic writing side? Are you more on the, you know, data and, and um, you know, intellectual side? I, someone gave me a book recently. I, I read I loved it. Uh, it was called The Introvert Advantage. How to Thrive in an Extrovert World. And they gave it to me for obvious reasons. And, uh, you know, the book talked about 75% of the world is extroverts. And that it can be hard to be an introvert in this world. And it's very, very enlightening for me. Bless you, introverts. And uh, as introverts get their energy from being alone in ideas and emotions uh, and impressions, while extroverts, we get our energy from people and activities and, and places. But the point is that both are limits no matter how God's shaped you and built you, it's a limit. 
matter how you cut it. And then, of course, time is a limit. You know, I don't know about you, I, 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 you know, time's running out. I only have one life to live. And I can't do it all. You know, I would like to try some different professions. Helen, if Helen's in this service, I'd like to try music for a while. I want to join the worship team, you know, I have to go. In fact, I'd like to try being a professor. How about a professional? How about a writer? How about an artist? How about make some movies? I want to try my hand at business, you know? And uh, I want to be a, tra- I want to try carpentry, build some houses, you know, and I'll be a mechanic. I always want to be handy with my hand, you know, but the truth is, I, I don't have time. My, my life is running out and I can't do it all. I, I can do a couple of things, but I, I, the time is limited. In fact, I, I can't live where I, oh, I can only live in one place at one time. I, I can't live in Turkey I, or, or, or Russia. I'd love to visit Russia, you know, or, or Africa. I can be in one space and, and that's it because my time is limited and I can't be everywhere or go everywhere. I don't have time to. It's, it's an incredible limit. And then finally, uh, you know, my last little thing that just embrace my own devotional time with God of worship is how limited is my knowledge of God, and my spiritual understanding. You know, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, it says in Deuteronomy 29, 29. God says in Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't know a lot of what's going on. And again, the older I get, the more mystery I'm finding in God the less I understand. But embracing the limits is a challenge. To embrace this before God and my creatureliness. Do you realize that this was the path of Jesus? Do you realize what it meant for God to become a human? Have you ever thought about that? For Jesus to embrace those limits. And for 30 years, apparently he didn't do any miracles that we know about. People dying and sick, in need, and he's just not moving. And even just walking out the plan of the Father those three years, knowing Pentecost was later, and just the limits of being, you know, just being in human flesh. What incredible power that took to embrace those limits for Jesus. But he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't just embrace them, and this is our second step, to do what John did. John embraced them, and he surrendered to them. Because you don't have to surrender to your limits. You can fight them like I did my computer this past week. And you see, this is not, you don't surrender passively. This is a very active thing to surrender to your limits. It's it's really a place of prayer before God. Because it's recognizing that somehow these limits, God is good. God's in control and he's going to handle the universe. And I recognize that if I got everything I wanted, I would be idolatrous, I'd be arrogant, and you know what? God knows I couldn't handle it all anyway. And that I recognize God's, I surrender because I, I, I come in that place of prayer and the word that God has got a purpose for my life, God's forming Christ in me, God loves me, God's changing me, and you know what? I got rejected for that university or rejected for that job or rejected for that relationship and that proposal or, you know what? It's a limit, but I surrender to it because I know that God's on the throne and he is good. And he loves me. And I embrace it and I surrender to it as worship to God. And you know what? My children and my spouse and my boss and my friends, I'm praying for them to change to be the people I want. But they're not. But I surrender to that limit that I can't change them. Knowing that God is good and he is great and he's in control. You know, that emotionally and physically, I can't do it all, but it's for my good. I got limits of this body's wearing out. You know, the original serenity prayer, many of you are 12-steppers, and uh, 
No, Serenity Prayer is a beautiful prayer. It was written by a guy named Reinhold Niebuhr in 1943 during World War II. But the original prayer, which, which he approved the change that is now used in all the rooms and meetings, but the original prayer read like this. God grant us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things that should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. That was the original prayer. But what they, what they you know, took out was, God grant us grace. He was a theologian. He taught at Union Theological Seminary. He was, he was a pastor. God grant us grace. It's a great prayer. He approved the shift, so it's a good prayer. You know, he would be like, we, would, we have like alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous and, and Narcotics Anonymous. It's almost like we need a Humans Anonymous 12-step. And, and the fact that I've got human limits. That I, have, I am Pete. I am a, you know... I don't know, I'm limitholic. I don't know what to call it, but, but, but defining you, what's humility is, has been defined this way. Humility is knowing your limits, and number two, asking for the help you need. It's a great definition of humility. Knowing your limits and asking for the help you need. And, um, you know, a part of us, again, we don't want to accept limits, we don't want to surrender to them, and so what happens? We're overloaded financially, we're overloaded emotionally, we're overloaded physically, we're overloaded relationally, and we're all depleted and exhausted. And our culture pulls us in this. And, and we look around everybody else. And we say, okay, I'm at this level here, down here. And we look around in the movies and newspapers. And we look at how they're living, their educational level, their looks. We look at their money. We look at their jobs. We look at other people's marriages, their families, their kids, their houses, their toys, their cars, their, their power, their friends, their athleticism, their health. And we get, what do we get? We get depressed. And we get envious. And, and, and we want what the other person's got. Because we don't have it. I didn't know I didn't have it until I saw you. <laughs> and, and that's why, uh, you know, America and our Western civilization has been called the age of envy. Because the whole purpose of advertising and media is to create envy in you that you'll go buy and spend. And it's dangerous because we envy, we compare, and we become so vulnerable, especially in areas where you're working. And if you're a musician, you end up envying other musicians. If you're an artist, you envy other artists. You know, if you're a, a, a business person, you envy other business people. If you're a social worker, you envy other social workers. A teacher, envy other so teachers. Spirituality, I envy other people's spirituality. And there's no contentment. But it all goes back to God. Instead of threatening to my limits, I say, you know what, God? It's your fault. I don't have what they have. And if you hadn't made me like this, if you hadn't put me in this family, I wouldn't be in this mess. And envy is so powerful, it's so subtle, it's so insidious that it destroys our spirituality. In fact, what is done in the name of God is frightening. You know, again, I was raised in America, like many of you, and I was told as a little boy I could do anything I wanted. I was, I, if I put forth the effort, I could, I could, you know, both me and the universe, we didn't have any limits. You know, little Petey, if you want to be president, you can be president. You can be a lawyer, a doctor, a PhD, physics professor, a cop, a CEO, Bill Gates, whatever you want, missionary, father of 15, you know, Mother Teresa, Donald Trump, you know, an astronaut, investment banker, you know, you can get 1,600 in your SATs, you know, you can be a, you know, a heart specialist and do creative surgeries of, of um, you know, dividing twins that are attached to the head, you know, you can be a professional athlete, and for me, basketball, and it was, it was this myth that if I put forth the energy and commitment, I could do anything, you know what, that's not true. I can't do anything, everything. I have limits. 
I have limits and so do you. And so despite what the American culture may feed you, that you can be or do whatever you desire, the truth is there are some roles, there are some relationships where you will thrive because God built you that way. But there are others when you cross that limit and try to be somebody you're not, you will die. You will wither. Your spirit will go south very quickly. You know, again, I, 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 at one point I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to be powerful and rich and make people squirm. You know, I was thinking as a little college kid, you know. And I realized when I realized that is so, when I began to study for the test, I realized I have no, I, don't, I have no aptitude for this, no, no, no ability for this in terms of interest and detail and, and all. I just, it, it was, I, I remember feeling like, oh, I'll die if I do this, you know. And, and uh, accounting and, you know, just my, my, some of you are outstanding at that kind of work. And again, if God didn't make me like that, it's a limit I had. I can't do that without dying. And Jesus, again, our second Adam, Adam the perfect human, he embraced his limits. All right, let me close with this. All right. And, and third, so I, I got to embrace it. If I'm going to be content like John and Jesus, I, I embrace them. I surrender to my limits. And then finally, you know what? I have to enter the joy of my limits. Now, this is hard for a lot of us. You know why? We are more comfortable in pain than joy. In fact, we feel like if life is terrible, God will love me more. And to enter the joy, there's a joy in limits. It's an incredible joy when you can embrace them and surrender to them. But you've got to enter the joy and the pleasure of limits that, you know what, I can't do it all. And, and uh, Judas did not like the limits of Jesus. He definitely did not enter the joy of his limits. He committed suicide. And, uh, but this is really an invitation to contentment, uh, to be calm, to be centered, to be a presence of blessing, to be a blessing presence in the midst of chaos. This is true faith. Because you know what? You leave the world in the hands of God. You're not trying to be God. You let God run the universe and the world. And you say, a man or a woman can receive only what is given him or her from heaven. Verse 27 of John 3. A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. What a place of thankfulness. Just a place of thankfulness and rest. And so, so I want to ask you a question as we prepare for communion. The worship team, come on forward. What are you trying to prove? What are you trying to prove? What are you so anxiously striving for that you've lost your rest? Now, we're going to take communion, and we're going to go back into worship. But if you will embrace and surrender and enter the joy of your limits. Do you know something? You will be liberated from everything you have to do and all the things you should do and all the compulsions that you can't stop. This is a place of worship and rest. How would you like to rest in a world that knows no rest? How would you like to Walk in a contentment and calmness and joy that the world knows nothing of. And you, like John the Baptist, you're just a blessing with your life. Regardless of what anybody says about your life around you. Because you know that they don't know your limits. Only you and God do. And you choose to hug them and embrace them. We're talking, friends, about a liberation from the rat race that screams at me and screams at you and says, you're a loser if you don't do this. 
and says, come on, cross those limits. Go ahead, do it, do another thing. Until you're, you're so swamped that you don't know where God is anymore. It's satanic. It's warfare at its best. Make no mistake about it. This is full-scale war. Because there is an evil one who wants to destroy you any way that he can. And one way that he has effectively done it, especially for those who have begun to get a hold of God's purpose for their lives, is get them to cross limits. And then he cuts you out from within and he destroys you. And you wonder, what happened? All right, let's all stand. Because the death of Jesus and his gift of righteousness has set me free. I don't have to work or do anything to prove anything. So I'm going to invite you. We have a communion table right here. As we, there's a cup and his bread. You take the bread, you dip it in the cup. This is a place of rest, of repentance. The fact of, you know what? I have limits. I'm a creature. You're God. I need to eat and drink of you, and I'm going to rest from all of my works to prove that I'm something, and I'm going to rest in the finished work of Jesus who shed his blood on a cross, rose again, ascended to the right hand of the Father on my behalf, and so I can rest now. And I can do the Father's plan for my life and have joy and contentment because I have nothing to prove it. I'm not the Savior. I'm Pete. And the amazing thing is God resurrects us in those limits and does powerful things, like Abraham and Sarah having a baby at age 100. So God does miracles in our limits, but he does the miracles, not us. Communion is a place of humility. I have limits and I can't do it all, and I need help. So I'm going to invite you to the table. They're up there and down here. In fact, maybe, you know, if you want to come and pray, as you take communion, you want to come kneel over there, do that. And ask the Lord for forgiveness and grace. Okay, but let's pray as we come to this table and go back to worship. Lord, thank you for this amazing text of John the Baptist. And we affirm that a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And that we can receive only what you give us from heaven, Lord. So I pray as we come to this table that you would meet us here. We would humble ourselves, repent, rest from our anxieties and strivings of making the world happen, and that we'd embrace the gift of your limits, Lord, for each one of us. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'd like to uh, close by uh, inviting the prayer teams to come forward and you know, when King David wanted to build the temple and God said to him, no. I mean, the guy had the resources to build the temple and God said, no. And he just sat and he just worshiped God out of that. And I know I have a hard time believing that God's going to work and do powerful things through my limits. Like he did for Gideon with 300 and Abraham and Sarah being age 100 and and, uh, you know, David and Goliath and, and all this Timothy being fearful. And, and it's trusting that he's a powerful resurrection God who does miracles as we embrace our limits. But I recognize that it is rebellion. It's just something deep inside of me and in us that just raises a fist against God and said, No! And it's, it's pride, it's an inflated ego, it's grandiosity, it's, it's this, ah! And so as we close, I, I, I would like us, maybe you guys can stay in worship, and we can talk outside. I know for some here, it is a time for you to repent. 
and to just humble yourself before God. Last week we had anointing for finding God's purpose in our life. And we had a, it was flooded. But it's a little more difficult to get anointed for humility. <laughs> for God to humble me. And that I would be like Jesus and John the Baptist. I'd embrace my limits and surrender to them. And, 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 and really enter the joy of that contentment when the whole world is screaming at me to go another way. So, again, I want to invite you to, to close here, to come and receive prayer and an anointing that God would give you grace to be humble. Because it is grace to be humble. I think Reinhold Niebuhr hit it. It is grace. And if you don't know Jesus, you come as well. Your life is one of rebellion against God. And you know it. Of running your life. You come and you receive Jesus and become a Christian here today. And surrender your life to him. All right? Why don't I just bow your heads for a minute? So let's pray together. And so, Father, we pray as we, we leave here. I want to pray for the altar ministry time over here, God, as we do anoint again with oil, Lord, for the power from heaven, Lord, to break and to get off that rat race craziness that we have lived in most of our lives, to be able to, Lord, to hear your voice as John the Baptist did and reject the lies from hell that scream at us day and night. So for singles, for parents, for marrieds, for teenagers, Lord, I pray for grace of humility now in the name of Jesus. And may God, we be weak people, full of joy and contentment, where you move through us in the name of Jesus. Amen, everybody.